Well, the weird thing was, I was like, I've been laying perfectly still. I said, Mandy, I haven't moved at all here in, in the bed this morning. Now, here's the deal. During this time, we were wanting to have a baby. So in that particular moment on this Christmas morning, we had a pretty good idea of what just might be going on with Mandy in that moment. But the problem was, we didn't have a pregnancy test with us. And as I said earlier, this was Christmas morning. So, Mandy told me I needed to go get dressed and go find a, uh, a pregnancy test on Christmas morning. I don't think I can emphasize this much to you this morning. And you know, the tough thing is back in 2002, we didn't have smartphones where you could just ask Google to say, hey, what stores in Lincoln are open on Christmas morning? I had to do it the old-fashioned way, which meant I just had to get in my car and aimlessly drive around Lincoln on Christmas morning. And so I, I'll tell you, I can't tell you how many stores. I went to Hy-Vee. I went to Russ's IGAs. I went to several uh, Walgreens. I went to CVS. I went to Shopco. Uh, nothing was open. They were all closed. I was starting to get a little bit desperate. I finally found something that was open. I found a convenience store. So I thought to myself, well, why not? And so I went into the convenience store, and as you can imagine, there was no pregnancy test. It was not very convenient for me on that Christmas morning. And at that point, I was like, what in the world am I going to do? Finally, I think it was sometime around 7.30 or so, I went to a different Walgreens, and I discovered that it opened at 8. And I was like, yes finally. And so I didn't know what else to do, so I just sat in the parking lot and decided, well, I'm just going to wait for this store to open. And once the store opened, I went in, I got the pregnancy test, and just in case, I got a little stocking and a little pacifier to put in, uh, put in the teeny stocking. And went back to my folks' house, and lo and behold, discovered that we were pregnant with Joel. That was truly a great Christmas for us to celebrate that. But it was not without a whole lot of work. Sometimes when you are a person on a mission, it's going to take time, maybe longer than you expected, and the work may be even harder than you imagine. But once you complete the mission, it's always worth it, right? Same can be said of the mission of the church. The mission of the church is something that can take a really long time, and it can be really hard work. But it's always worth it when you are on God's mission. And we have been given a mission by Jesus. And that mission is the third part of our vision series that we are going to be concluding this morning. Remember what we wanted to start out the year was kind of like do reminders to say, what do we want to be about as a church? And we said there are three things that we want to be about. We want to be about gospel and community, which we've talked about the last two weeks, and mission, which we are going to talk about today. So the passage that we're going to look at today is from Luke 24, verses 44 through 49, which I'm calling the other great commission. Now, we all know the great commission that's found in Matthew, right? Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. Some of you could probably even quote it by heart. But Jesus also gives another commission in Luke 24, one that we probably aren't quite familiar with. 
but it's still a commission that is given to us by Jesus. And so what I want us to do is I want us to look at this passage together as we think about the mission that we have been given by Jesus. So if you could stand with me in honor of reading God's word, I'm going to be reading from Luke 24, verses 44 through 49 this morning. This is the word of the Lord. Then he said to them, These are my words that I have spoken to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. He said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, that the and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. You may be seated. So what I want to do this morning, I want to break this passage down into, into three sections. And, and those are going to be this. The first section is going to be the might. That is found in verses 44, 45, and 49. Part two is going to be the message that is found in 46 and 47. And then the third part is going to be the mission in 47 and 48. I don't know if we saw what I did there. I got three M's going here this morning. The might, the message, and the mission. So first, let's look at the might. Let's look at the power. And here is what's super encouraging about this passage, about this other great commission, that before Jesus goes into the message and into the mission, he talks about the might or the power to do the things that he is getting ready to call us to do. Jesus knows he's getting ready to send us on a mission with a message. But Jesus also knows that we need help to do these things. And the gospel good news is that Jesus is first going to provide the might or the power that we need. Look at what it says here. Let's look at verse 44 and 45 again. Then he said to them, these are my words that I've spoken to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Verse 44, Jesus is basically explaining to his disciples that all of the Old Testament talks about Jesus. That basically from Genesis uh, to Malachi, it's all about Jesus. It's all pointing to Jesus. And he explains it to them. But then it says in verse 45 that Jesus opens the minds of the disciples so that they can see and that they can clearly understand how and where the Old Testament is talking about Jesus. This is truly a remarkable moment for the disciples because it is a truly mighty work that Jesus is doing in them. It's like that moment when you're in high school. I don't know if you had a moment like this when you're sitting in math class and you have this complex math equation that you're trying to figure out. And then all of a sudden, like, it, it clicks and it, and it makes sense and everything falls into place. Well, in this moment with the disciples, 
when Jesus is explaining to them the Old Testament in such a way, there is this supernatural click that takes place in the minds of the disciples as the scripture all falls into place for them so that they can see Jesus in it. This is the power of the gospel that is working in the disciples. Because Jesus is doing everything, right? Jesus is doing the explaining. Jesus is doing the opening of the minds. Jesus is giving the seeing and the understanding. Jesus did the exact same thing earlier in this chapter in Luke 24 with the two men on the road to Emmaus. If you just look up at verse 27 in the chapter, look what it says. Jesus does this work. He says, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Again, Jesus does all the work of showing these two guys how the Old Testament is talking about himself, which just shows us that Jesus wants us to know these things about him in the Old Testament. He's not keeping it a secret. He's saying, I want you to know these things. Look at verse 32. Look at the response of these two men from the work that Jesus did in them. It says, They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened the scriptures to us? Jesus did this supernatural work of opening their minds to understand what the Old Testament was saying about Jesus. Jesus does this great, mighty work to reveal Jesus to us in the scriptures. And what this has meant, this is meant to give us great confidence in Jesus and his might working in us. And it should also create great dependence on us to lean in on Jesus to provide these things for us. I know that one of the hurdles that I think we have to overcome in mission a lot of times is, are the hurdles that we think things like, well, I don't know what to say to someone. Or like, I don't want to look stupid. I don't want, because if they ask questions that I don't know how to answer, I don't know how to answer their objections. And what if they ask hard questions? Well, the good news is that the might of Jesus is working in you to give you a clear understanding about the things that the Bible talks about Jesus. And we're called to trust that Jesus is going to provide and that Jesus is going to do this work in us. And then that we pray that we would be prayerful, dependent people. Say, Jesus, would you reveal yourself to me? Help me to know you better. Help me to be able to communicate you more clearly to others. Jesus wants to do these things for us. But not only is the, this is not the only might that is provided for you. There's more mighty work for the believers in verse 49. Look at what verse 49 says. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Jesus is sending the promised one to the disciples that is from the Father, from God, and that promised one is the Holy Spirit. Verse 49 goes on to describe the Holy Spirit when he says that you will be clothed with power from on high. This word power in the Greek is the word dynamis. It's where we get our word dynamite from. So there is a divine explosive power that is working within us. 
This is not a small power. This is not a small firecracker power. This is a mighty explosive power that is working in the lives of the believers through the power of the Holy Spirit. And we are clothed with him. I don't know if you remember, if you've ever looked at or seen power suits from the 80s. These power suits were business suits, if you're not familiar with the phrase that I'm talking about, that were designed with, with they would put shoulder pads in the, in the suit jacket. Makes you look kind of bigger, right? It is supposed to uh, uh, give the purpose of, of giving you a sense of self-confidence, boldness, and authority. That's what Google told me anyway. So that's what these power suits were meant to do for people in the business world. Well, here, Jesus is saying that the Holy Spirit is going to clothe you with power from on high, from God himself. Talk about the ultimate power suit. We aren't just getting a little bit of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is coming to cover you in order to give you boldness to go on mission. You are on mission with the, with the power of the Holy Spirit that surrounds and envelops you. This is better than self-confidence. This is Holy Spirit confidence. Listen to how Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit in John 14 and verse 26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you, listen to this, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all all that I have said to you. Then in John 16, 13, Jesus goes on to say this, but when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. He will declare to you the things that are to come. When we have been clothed with the power of the Holy Spirit, he will be teaching us, it says, all things. He will bring to remembrance all of what Jesus has said. He will guide us in all truth. This Holy Spirit power is meant to give us great confidence when we go on mission for him. He promised he would. He promised to send the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came. The Holy Spirit is still with you. The Holy Spirit is going to go with you wherever you go, and the Holy Spirit will be working in you. It's good to remember when you're talking with someone on mission, like, okay, Holy Spirit, will you help me in this moment to know what to say? I don't know if I'm going to be ready, but Holy Spirit, will you help me? Will you speak the things that you want me to speak and want me to say? Do you see here how in this other great commission that we find here in Luke, that we are surrounded by gospel power? Jesus is at the beginning. He's up front. He's explaining all things to us. And then we got the Holy Spirit coming from behind, concluding, clothing us with power from on high. The great might mighty work of the gospel surrounds us as we go out for mission for him so now that we see this great might that we are working in let's look at part two of our passage which is the message the message that we are to proclaim in verses 46 and 47 it says this and he said to him thus it is written that the christ should suffer on the third day rise from the dead that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name the first part of the message is that jesus should suffer yes jesus did suffer right uh, with the beatings and the crown of thorns on his head and the nails in his hands and his feet 
But I believe that this is not the suffering that Jesus is talking about here in Luke. Because the suffering that I believe Jesus is referring to is bearing our sins and taking our guilt and shame upon himself. This is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake, he being God, made Jesus, made him to be sin who knew no sin. That Jesus lived this perfect life. He never sinned once. And what this resulted in was him being qualified to go to the cross and take our sins upon himself. And the reason that Jesus does this work of taking our sins upon himself is so that he could take our punishment for that sin. Jesus' true suffering involved taking that punishment for our sin, and that punishment was in the form of the wrath of God. This is what Jesus was praying about in the garden when he was sweating drops of blood, when he said, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. What Jesus was praying about, this cup, is the cup of God's wrath. This phrase, this idea of the cup of God's wrath is something that is found frequently in the Old Testament. And God's wrath is spoken of this way as a cup of wrath that is going to be poured out. One example of that is found in Jeremiah chapter 25, verses 15 through 17, where it says this, Thus the Lord, the God of Israel, said to me, Take from my hand the cup of the wine of wrath, and make all the nations whom I send to drink it. They shall drink and stagger and be crazed because of the sword that I am sending among them. So I took the cup from the Lord's hand and made all the nations with whom the Lord sent me drink it. Sin will always be punished with the wrath of God. There's always wrath for someone to drink. But the good news is that Jesus drank the wrath for his people. For those who would believe in his name for salvation, he drunk that wrath for them so they wouldn't have to. This is why when Jesus was on the cross, that darkness came over the land from noon to 3 p.m. The brightest time of the day was completely dark to symbolize that judgment was taking place in those moments. And it is also why during that time of that darkness that is taking place, that Jesus cries out in those moments, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because judgment is taking place upon him. The wrath of God was being poured out on Jesus. Jesus was enduring hell on the cross for you in some mysterious way in those three hours. This is what Christ suffered for you, believer. But Jesus didn't just suffer. That's not the end of the message, right? Because the message continues. It says, on the third day, rise from the dead. The message doesn't end its suffering because there is a resurrection. And the resurrection means everything. Because the truth of the matter is, is if you don't have the resurrection, then the cross means nothing. It means nothing. This is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 14. That if Christ had not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and our faith is in vain. 
In verse 17, Paul goes on to say, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. If there is no resurrection, you have no faith. We have no message and we are still in our sins. When I was on staff at my church in Olathe, Kansas, my senior pastor used to say this, never talk about the cross without the resurrection. And that really stuck with me. All these years later, I still think about that because it is the resurrection that validates the cross. The cross has its power because the tomb is empty. Without the resurrection, there is no power in the cross. The power of the cross is rooted in the resurrection. And the result of this work of Jesus, of his suffering on the cross and his resurrection, there is a call. There's a call. The call is that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name. There's a call to repent. That means to change one's mind and to change one's direction. There's a call that says you are to turn away from your sin and that you are to turn towards Jesus. There's a change of allegiance and a change in devotion that says I am no longer going to love my sin and follow my sin. That instead I am going to love Jesus and I'm going to follow him instead. And it is Jesus who forgives those sins. Sins are forgiven by Jesus because of his work on the cross and his resurrection because that qualifies him to forgive those sins that he bore on the cross. It is the name of Jesus and Jesus alone that forgiveness can be found. There is no other name under heaven or earth which men must be saved because there is no other name that can forgive sins than Jesus. The ability to forgive sins is exclusively found in him. So repentance, forgiveness of sins because of Jesus' work in the cross and the resurrection, this is where our salvation is found. This is our message that we are to proclaim. And that leads us to part three, which is our mission. Look at what the rest of 47 and 48 says. Well, actually, I'll start at the beginning of 47. That repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. This message of salvation that is found in Jesus was to go, Jesus says, to all the nations, all the nations, not just some of the nations, not the nations that we like or the nations that we think are friendly or the nations that we think are convenient. No, it says we go to all nations, everywhere, every single one of them. This is where Jesus commands us to go, that we are to go to all peoples, to all nations, so that they can hear the saving message of Jesus. This means dangerous nations like Afghanistan, North Korea, China, Russia, Iran, Somalia, Pakistan, India. These are not nations that are excluded from the mission. They all fall under the category of all nations. And let me ask you this question this morning. Do you know the need 
to go. It is estimated that there are nearly 17,500 different people groups in the world. I don't know if you're familiar with the term people groups or not. What that means is when the people talk about a people group, they're talking about a group of people that live geographically in the same area that share a same language and share a same culture. You know, nations like, uh, like China can have thousands of different people groups because they speak different dialects and, and, they, and they have different cultural things that make them unique. 17,500 different people groups in the world. Of those 17,000 groups, 7,400 of them are unreached. Now, if you're not familiar with the term unreached, what that means is that there are no, there's no Christian influence within that people group. That means there's no missionaries there. It means there's no church there. It means that there are no Bibles in that language there. It means that there are zero Christians there. None. 7,400 people groups which represents 3,360,000,000 people. That is 42% of our world population with zero gospel influence. Let that just think, sink in for a moment. The need is great, and the nations need to hear the name of Jesus. And if Jesus is calling us to go to all nations, the question, it begs the question, who will go? Who will go? There's a call here in Luke 24 to say, who, who will go? So this morning, I'm going to ask several questions. Questions that I don't know if you've ever considered or not. Questions like, have you ever considered to go to the nations? Does God want you to go on mission for him to fulfill this call to take the gospel, to take the message of Jesus to all nations? Does he want you to go to one of these 7,400 people groups? Students, listen to me. If you're in grade school, if you're in high school, middle school, college, I want you to listen to me. Is God calling you to spend your life to go on mission for him? Does he want you to go to the nations? Is this what God wants you to be when you grow up? And I would encourage you, don't dismiss this question too quickly. I want you to ponder over these questions. I want you to pray about them. Students, I want to tell you how I became a pastor and how that worked in my life. I was, it was the summer I graduated from high school. I, I went to youth camp, and while I was at youth camp this summer, the camp pastor was there on the last night, preached this sermon, calling the students who will be the next generation of ministers, who will be the next pastors and youth pastors and missionaries. And that is all he talked about in that message that night. That was his singular point in his message. And the Lord used that message in my life to call me to go into the ministry. 
I came home from that camp. I talked to my mom and dad about this. I was registered and enrolled to go to University of Nebraska. I was going to go into broadcast journalism. I wanted to be the next Kent Pavelka, all right? Like, I had a plan, and then Jesus said, no, I've got a plan for you. And, 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 I've, and I said, Mom, Dad, I think I'm supposed to be a youth pastor, and I don't think I can figure that out at University of Nebraska. And so they said, okay, let's figure out where that would be. Two weeks later, I ended up at Southwest Baptist University uh, studying to learn how to, be, to go into youth ministry and be a youth pastor. And I was a youth pastor in Olathe for 13 years before I came here and been here almost for 11 years now. And all because someone took the time to give a message to send out a call to say, will you go? And I answered that call. So today, all these years later, and I don't want to count how many years that's been, I'm standing here this morning asking the next generation to say, will you answer this call? I have a baton that I need to hand to someone. And I'm wondering, who will take that baton? Who will be the one to carry out the mission of Jesus and go? Man, students, I would encourage you, do what I did. Talk to your folks. If you think this is something that is stirring in you, talk to your folks about this. Talk, talk to, when Pastor Ryan gets back, talk to him or to me. Talk to Seth. We would love to talk to you about those things. Man, I would encourage you, pray about these things. We can help you figure these things out. If I, was, if I could figure out everything in two weeks and get to a completely different school, we can help you figure things out as well. But here's the thing. This, is, this call is just not for students. This is call is for the adults in the room here too. Is God calling you to go to a new direction in your life, to take the gospel to the nations, to the unreached? Will you be witnesses of the message of Jesus to all nations, and will you go? Here's the thing. We want to see people to go. I'll tell you, one of the things that we have talked about as elders, like how great would it be if Fremont E. Free started sending people out to go to the nations to proclaim the name of Jesus everywhere. Like, that would be awesome. That would be so amazing that over the next 10 years, we saw men and women and families going out to the nations to proclaim the gospel to the unreached peoples. We need people to go. Will you go? But we also know this. The reality is, is not everyone is going to go. We hope some would go, but we know not everyone is going to go. But here's the thing. There is also a mission right here in Fremont because the nations are coming to us. I know this may make you, some of you feel a little uncomfortable, but it is something that we cannot ignore. We cannot turn a blind eye to look at the reality that the nations are coming to us, that the nations are coming to, to Fremont. Do you know that 12% of Dodge County is Hispanic or Latino? That comes out to about 4,000 people. 4,000 people made in the image and likeness of God. 4,000 people who may have very little knowledge of Jesus. The unreached are here. Do you know how many evangelical, Bible-believing Hispanic churches there are in our Fremont area? To the best of our research, and the best of our knowledge as elders, as we looked into this and asked that question, the answer is zero. None. 
Now, there are Hispanic Catholic churches, and there are Hispanic Pentecostal churches, but there are zero Hispanic churches that we believe preach the Word of God accurately the way it should be preached and proclaimed. None. So we as elders have been asking this question, what do we do? Larry, Ryan, Steve, Adam, myself, how do we obey the mission that Jesus has given us to take the gospel to all nations that happen to be right here in Fremont? To a people who speak a different language than we do. To a people who live a different culture than we live. To a people who need to know Jesus. These are questions that we as elders have been asking, I would say, for at least a year and a half now. Maybe a little bit longer than that. And we as elders are convinced that there is a great need in our city. So we've been praying as elders, we've been discussing, we've been dreaming, and we've been wondering, what should we do? What should we do? And that's why we've taken several small steps over the last year and a half or so. That's why back in 2021, we gave a portion of our Harvest Festival money to Camino de Vida Church, the Hispanic church plant in Lexington, Nebraska. This is the reason why last March, Adam Marshall flew myself, Steve Harmon, and Ryan Olson to Lexington so that we could give that offering to them in person. We just didn't want to stick it in the mail and send it on its way. No, we wanted to go and we wanted to get to know the people that we gave to. We wanted to get to know Pastor David Santos and his family and his congregation so that we could worship with them, together worshiping Jesus and fellowship with them, and meet them, and go have lunch with them, and fellowship together with them, and learn from them. That's why this past summer, we invited David Santos and his church choir to come to Fremont and sing for us, so that we could continue to build relationships with them, so that you could meet them, and so that you could get to know them, to worship with them, to fellowship with them. This is why in this past fall for our Harvest Festival, we invited Abdel Gonzalez to come and share with us. You don't know who Abdel is? Abdel works for our denomination. He works at the Midwest District Office for the EFCA denomination. And his role is the director of all people ministry. That he wants to see ministries for other cultures created throughout Kansas and Nebraska. We came, we asked him to come so that you could get to know him, so that you could hear from him, so that you could eat with him and interact with him and hear how are Hispanic ministries and other ministries taking place right here in Kansas and Nebraska. This is why we have met as elders and some others in our church have met with Abdel twice so that we can ask him questions, so that we can learn from him. What are Hispanic ministries? What does that look like? And pray with him and, and, and speak with him. This is why we've met with Juan Santos. Juan is David's brother. Juan Santos is the pastor of the Hispanic ministry at Brookside E-Free Church in Omaha. Brookside E-Free Church in Omaha has a Hispanic ministry. Juan is the pastor of that ministry. 
We've met with him a couple of different times to learn from him, to ask him questions. We've taken all these small steps because we are asking the question, how can we be obedient to Jesus' call and his command to take the gospel to the nations when those nations are in our backyard? Because these are people who need to know Jesus. They need to know the saving work of Jesus or they will suffer in hell if no one goes for them. So we're asking these questions. And these are huge questions. I know that these are huge questions. And at times they can seem overwhelming. And we as elders, we don't have the answers to these questions yet. That's why it's going to take time to, to answer these questions. But it's questions that we can't ignore. We are compelled, we're com- compelled as elders that we cannot ignore these questions. And that we must keep asking these questions. And we are waiting and looking for the Lord to answer those questions. We are taking just the slow, steady work of seeking the Lord. And so this morning, the next step of that process is to say, will you join us? When I knew that we were going to preach about mission, I talked to Ryan and he said, let's do this. So will you join us in praying? We want you to pray with us. To say, Lord, what do you want us to do? What do you want Fremont e Free to do, to be doing, to reach the nations here in Fremont? Do you want us to, to, to begin a Hispanic ministry in Fremont? What does that look like? What role do we play? How can this come about? Will you pray with us as we seek the Lord in this? Would you pray that the Lord would give us wisdom and direction? We want to be talking about these things. We're going to continue to talk about these things. You may have a dozen questions in your head right now, and that's okay. We do too. Ask those questions of us. You can go to any of the elders and ask questions. We want to talk to you. This is not the, this is not the end. This is the beginning of talking and praying and seeking and saying, God, what do you want us to do? But here's the thing we know. That God could do some mighty work in us right here in Fremont to proclaim the message of Jesus, to further his mission right here in Fremont. And we want to be faithful to obey the other great commission that has been given to us by Jesus. Let's pray. Actually, I want you to just take a moment right now. I asked you to pray, so... Let's pray. Will you take the time to pray? And I think there are several things that we can pray here. We can be praying, God, am I supposed to go to the nations? Do you want me to go? Do you want me to go to, to Africa or South America or Asia in order to proclaim the gospel? There's a call that we need to go. And so I encourage you, be praying about that. If the Lord is tugging at your heart, pray about that this morning. And then pray, how can we be on mission here in Fremont? How can we be reaching the nations here? How can we as a church be about these things? So I would encourage you. There's a couple of different directions that you can go in and praying about these things. And so I would encourage you, whether you're with your family, you want to pray for these things, you want to pray by yourself, let's just take a few minutes and pray about the mission of God and what he wants us to do here. Let's pray now.
clear to see that you have given us a mission to go and a message to proclaim salvation that is found in Jesus, that we are to go to all nations. That is clear. And what is also clear is that there is great power, there is great might to go on that message or on that mission and proclaim that message. And so, Father God, that means that there is power to send people to go. Three, nearly three and a half billion people seems overwhelming. But yet, there is great power in you to reach all peoples in all nations. And God, I pray that you would show us as Fremont E. Free, how can we be about reaching the nations for you? What does that look like to go? What does that look like for someone to go? And then, Father God, we also recognize that the nations are here and that we're commanded to, commanded to go here as well. We're commanded to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, into the ends of the earth. We are to be here and there. So, God, pray for here. How do we reach the nations here? God, that also means that you have the power to show us how does that happen here and the ability to make things happen and that people would come and know and trust in Jesus to save them from their sins. This is what we want. So Lord, I pray that you would help us in, in your great power that you will lead us and guide us and direct us to how do we take the message of the gospel here. I pray that you would help us pray that you would lead us, and I pray that people would come to know you all for your praise and your glory. We pray this all in your name. Amen. One last thing I'll do before I, I dismiss. Um, this is the third Sunday of the month, but January's looking a little bit different, and so we're going to take our benevolent offering uh, this week. Our benevolent offering is an offering that goes to help people in our church in need. And so one, if you have a need, I would encourage you to come and, and talk to us, and we would love to help you. Um, but there is a basket uh, that is in the foyer uh, out there as you leave this morning that if you want to leave something for the benevolent offering, you may put that in that basket that is out there in the foyer. All right, if you would stand with me, I'm going to read our uh, benediction this morning from Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21, which says this, Now to him who is able to to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. You are dismissed.